some of the silver lining of this event, showing us the markets and the types of demand that don't turn off, even in a pandemic. So those opportunities, those excite me the most, partly because I like building things. I do like the construction side of the business, but also because that's where you can still make money in a hotel, right? With, with the existing hotels, it's like we're trying to do organ transplants to save lives. With these you know, leisure markets, it's like we're getting to have babies. I mean, who doesn't like making babies? You know, I mean, this is like this is where we really have some brighter opportunities. But right now we're still in the operating room and we're trying to get out of the operating room so that we can get on to better things. Welcome to XN State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Welcome back to XN State. This is your host, JCQ. Today, we welcome Nick Massad, VP of Development at American Liberty Hospitality. Nick has been in the hotel industry quite literally since he was a child, being raised in and around hotels by his parents, Nick and Vicky, who founded American Liberty in 1973. Prior to joining the company, Nick worked at Hilton Worldwide and at the Four Seasons Hotel Company, where he held various management positions. Today, as Vice President of Development, Nick handles the complete development process for American Liberty's new endeavors, including financing, construction, and pre-opening management. In today's interview, we of course dive into how the company's assets have fared during the pandemic and what to expect within the industry in the months and years ahead. We discuss the action the company has taken to ride out the pandemic and remain strong throughout, as well as the investment opportunities that have arisen in the sector due to these very struggles. And we discuss the company's latest ground-up development, a dual-brand Holiday Inn Express and Saybridge Suites that is under construction and set to open in the coming months in Houston's prestigious Galleria area. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of XN State. Without further ado, here is today's guest, Nick Massad. Nick, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Warren. It's good to be here. How are things in Houston? Things in Houston are, are doing pretty well. We're making it. We're still looking forward to a significant recovery that we need to happen. But um, for right now, we're making it okay. Mm -hmm. I think Houston s seems to be in a lot better shape than it, was, than it seemed to be back in March, April, I think. The well, Houston, we know, is a, an economy that's very much tied with the oil and gas industry. And I think that industry has made a better recovery and a quicker recovery than we anticipated, or at least than what seemed like would happen back in those early, early months during the pandemic. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Right? We've absolutely seen a recovery since the outset of the pandemic. But being a local Houston company, a family-owned and operated company that's been here for the better part of four decades, we've never seen anything like this. We've absolutely never seen anything like this. And really, no one in the industry has ever experienced or seen anything quite like this. So although we've been you know, forced to deal with ups and downs in a heavy oil and gas, you know, heavy energy market, we've you know, become accustomed to that. This is not that kind of a typical situation. This is not a normal market conditions driven situation. This is an outside influence. And so I think we need a bit of a new playbook to deal with it. Um, you know, I think every, every individual, every business and our, you know, elected leaders have to kind of employ some new tactics. 
And so that's kind of what, um, you know, we've been doing, all of us. Well, Nick, I'm very excited to bring on today somebody from the hospitality industry. That's an industry that's certainly, I think, a lot of us from the outside, it seems like an industry that you think would be struggling. I think that's the impression that a lot of us can see from the outside. But I would like to get your your take on, on that. But before we do, why don't you give us a an overview on, on who you are and, and I'm Liberty. Thank you so much. Again, my name is Nick Massad and American Liberty Hospitality, our um, hotel management and development company, is a small family-owned and operated hotel company that began as a division of larger family office out of Dallas. And this large family office was uh, heavily invested in oil and gas and real estate and they uh, and ranching. And when uh, they decided to exit the hotel space, uh, my father and mother, who had gone to work for the company as employees early in their life, uh, early in their careers, uh, they had ascended to uh, senior management levels of the hotel division. My father at the time was the president of the hotel division. So they gave him the opportunity to buy the management company from them as they were exiting hospitality real estate. And it was really a godsend opportunity that my parents, both, you know, at the time, young, poor, newly married individuals with three young kids, they had the opportunity that most people, you know, really never dream of, or only dream of, I guess I should say. I think everybody dreams of it, but a uh, few people really get that chance. And uh, they were given the chance to buy the business that they worked for. And so they took it and they didn't have any money. The ownership of the parent company financed the uh, acquisition. And, uh, you know, they were in business for themselves, but they didn't own any real estate. So they slowly began saving money and they finally bought their first two hotels that they owned with a friends and family investor group. They bought two small hotels in Beaumont, Texas. They worked hard to keep those hotels in great condition with wonderful service. And they, they began a real estate development effort of kind of playing bigger and better and slowly grew their company from small roadside motels to really sort of the first successful limited service brands like Holiday Inn Express and other brands that were really taking off in the late 80s and 90s as the industry began to really diversify into lower priced inventory and really become a two-tiered industry, an industry of traditional hotels, which were really about experience and service, and a second group now of lodging establishments that were really just about offering a good, safe place to stay at a good rate. Maybe there was a breakfast involved, but it was something that, that could be replicated more quickly. And my father and mother, because they had already, working for this parent company, they had already been creating their own brand that gave free breakfast away, that gave away a manager's reception in the evening. They were doing that in the early 80s before anybody else was doing it. Now, they were, they were you know, trend-setting like a lot of other people were. And so they, they poured that experience into buying more hotels and began developing hotels. And now today we are building uh, two dual brand hotel projects, each 300 rooms approximately, uh, one in the Galleria market of Houston and one in the medical center market of Houston. So we, you know, my parents have really taken this small company and uh, done a lot of great things with it. And growing from, uh, you know, million dollar assets to, you know, 70, 80, 90 million dollar assets. It's a pretty impressive thing what they've done. And my sisters and I, you know, have worked with them 
off and on over our careers. And we're just excited to continue building on, on this legacy that they've started and creating a great place to work for employees, a great place to invest for investors, and you know, a great place to, to stay while you're traveling to a destination where we operate. And we are mostly in Southeast Texas and Louisiana right now and, and Central Texas, but we are excited to uh, take our experience out and diversify geographically. And we think eventually diversify into some new innovative inventory types that mix hotel with other uses. And so, you know, we're really excited to, you know, to kind of see what comes out of this recovery. You know, the industry right now is is wounded, but, you know, I think people want to travel. It's a necessary part of life. And we're trying to figure out how to best position ourselves to be able to take advantage of, you know, the opportunities coming out of this. I mean, it's hospitality. It's an evolving industry similar to retail. I mean, it's an industry that has had its ups and downs in the last few decades, but there are industries that are always going to be in constant evolvement and there are industries that aren't going to go away. I mean, retail hasn't had a good last 10 years or so since e-commerce, generally speaking, and hospitality right now is sort of, you think that's struggling a little bit, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you zoom out and look at these industries from a larger perspective, they may be going through a rough patch, but long-term, they're industries that are going to flourish because people want to travel and then people more and more now, they they value those experiences. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes in how the industry, in the ser different service levels and how what clients' expectations or customers' expectations to cater to those now evolving needs of the new clients but I guess what I'm trying to get to is that maybe wrong going through a rough patch, but if you zoom out, I mean, these are things that every industry goes through and that in the long term, these industries, particularly hospitality, are, is going to flourish. Yes, it, it is. I, but on the way back to flourishment, I think we are on the way back to flourishing. I think we're going to experience, you know, some uh, we're going to be forced to make some change. And some of that's going to be, I think, asset by asset, because some markets won't recover fast enough, you know, to support all hotel assets. So there's going to be some fallout, I think, from this. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. What we're seeing right now is that any hotel property, or really any tourism business that had trouble prior to COVID, they're having exceptional difficulty working out a solution with their lender, working out a solution for operating costs that they have to maintain despite having no revenues. Those assets are in the most distress, I think. But the majority of the tourism industry was actually performing quite well prior to COVID-19 taking hold of us and uh, or taking hold of our elected officials. And so I'm confident that, yes, most properties were already capitalized in a way that they should be able to bear through this, but they're not going to be able to do it alone because none of these assets, even if they were very conservative, if they were using debt and most hotels have some form of loan on them, you know, if you're most hotels, you've still got to figure out a way to deal with these low cash flows. Nobody has two years worth of cash uh, in working capital. 
So again, you know, I think, you know, there's not a one size fits all. I think that we have to figure out a way to deal with, you know, how do we manage debt service through this recovery? And how do we find capital for operating shortfalls as well, you know, for both managing debt service and operating shortfalls together, I think, you know, across the industry is going to be a, a lot of capital. And so we're, we're hoping that we think that it may be less fallout of properties simply because there's so many properties that are having the issues that, you know, some type of stimulus relief dedicated to these hotels, restaurants, uh, and other tourism related businesses that are extraordinarily, you know, hard hit. The biggest trouble I see with it, though, Jorge, is that we don't know how long we're actually going to be in this situation market by market. If you take the top 50 or 75 markets around the country, you've really got the majority of the real estate, the majority of the employees that are in the service industry. But each market's going to recover on a different timeline and therefore needs maybe an outsized share of relief you know, to the room count or employee count. There's so many different ways that you could provide relief, there is no set playbook because we've never been in this situation. So, you know, although we're, we're hopeful, you know, nobody really knows what is the right solution. And we need a little more help to get through this and we need travel to restart. And then I think we see where, where the industry goes and how it reacts, you know, where there's still uh, friction. And so I think that's where there's opportunity. I think there's going to be significant opportunity for new investment into the hospitality because of the things that don't work will have to be you know worked out with with new money so what is the direct situation with your hotels right now so the, the situation is occupancy dropped right that's the because of the pandemic that's the immediate direct effect and that's what's causing the pain that your hotels are seeing in the moment that's exactly right and, so prior to and how does that look sure prior to covid All of our hotels were uh, functioning ab above a break-even. Most of them were functioning well above a break-even and you know, were, were profiting nicely. Now, today, we have about 10% of the portfolio that's operating, uh, I'd say, well above a, a, a break-even. We're not concerned about having to deal with uh, those properties. About... 40% of the portfolio, maybe 50% of the portfolio is kind of bumping along, a, maybe somewhere close to a break even. They have enough cash, we think, maybe to get through. And then the balance, the, the last 30, 40% of the portfolio is actually in you know significant distress. And without some type of solution of additional liquidity that can be brought in and uh, you know relief of debt service, let's say, sliding payments, Uh, to maturity and things like that. If we don't have, you know, some solutions there, we have to look at more major salves, like you know, selling an asset or possibly even, uh, you know, going into some sort of a bankruptcy situation where we have to protect the asset from a situation that we didn't cause and that uh, we have no control over, and that is not going to last forever. So I think that the um, You know that the the, uh, the occupancies are, like I say, the uh, you know our strongest hotels that, of ours that are performing very well are in heavy leisure markets. The hotels that are performing at their lowest and need the most uh, cash flow assistance over the next uh, many months are in heavy group markets, convention center markets, and so I think that's true across the country. 
with the exception of destinations that you have to fly to, like a Hawaii, even though Hawaii is primarily leisure, they are devastated right now because of airlift and the fear of flying. And you have uh, then you know very urban centers like New York, where there's people questioning whether or not New York will ever return. And I think that's very hasty because, again, this is not at the this pandemic. When you look at the the numbers as they come out every day, you know, you can't ignore positive trends. And we have a lot of positive trends that we can, you know, put hope in. I'm not saying that we can affect policy today, but I'm very hopeful when I look at the greater numbers. I'm a very numbers driven individual. And so I'm very confident that we should see some uh, some bounce uh, quickly following you know, some type of medical treatment. And, you know, certainly the trend is pointing towards even without a medical treatment, we may feel comfortable traveling en masse again, you know, sooner than later. But I still think that um, it's going to be quite a while for some markets, particularly urban and uh, group markets, you know, where you have a, you know, a very dense population and, uh, and, you know, the majority of your revenue is driven by large events. I think that's the last to recover. So perhaps we'll see over the next six months leisure and some business travel return the following six months, the balance of business travel group starts to return. Maybe the third six months, we, we see business travel completely returned and group really taking strides. We're thinking it's going to be the end of 2021 before we see any individual demand driver back to its full strength. And we think that's you know leisure and BT at best. Um, we're hoping for some group. But like in an individual hotel market, when the market is down, who wins or who does the, the best? The hotels in the best locations. They're going to perform better than the hotels that are in secondary locations. And I think that, you know, across the nation, we're going to see that. Some cities are going to return, you know, recover a little bit faster. And some cities are going to be a little bit slower. And our partners, you know, in the financial industry, you know, the brands, I think they all have the capacity to understand that and see how things continue to develop. Yeah, I agree. And so the opportunity there. Is it to invest in the assets that are struggling to basically have them be able to survive what they're having to go through and the stress that they've been put under right now and wait for them to bounce back? Or what does an investment look like? Sure. So, yes, I think there is absolutely opportunity to invest in existing assets and invest as some type of gap capital just to fill the space between today and the, the revenues returning to a break even. It's difficult to come up with a perfect valuation of the asset today post COVID and tomorrow post you know return of economy. But we think that if the capital, if the gap capital could be structured in some type of pref equity uh, structure, then the valuation of the total asset is less important and the return on the investment is really what needs to be negotiated. And as long as the lender's concerns are met, which are probably going to include no second lien or that second lien holder may have only the right to pay off the first lien, that they may, you know, you, if you have a good relationship with a lender, if the asset wasn't in trouble prior to COVID, there may be, you know, may only be a portion of the industry that could perhaps uh, qualify or set up the, the ideal pref equity solution 
But we think that makes a lot of sense. And we think that it seems to us a safer bet, a lot less risk to provide gap capital to an asset that was performing prior to COVID. Because if it's a good market that you believe in, then the assets that are there too should be believable. Where we think it's risky is providing gap capital to assets that don't have great track records and and we're never even on an upswing perhaps or showing some positive investment indicators. And you know, if you're investing there, I think then you know you might be buying the asset. You might be better off just uh, trying to work out a an, you know an acquisition. Something that I wanted to ask you about is I've heard here and there people and developers starting to look into hotel reconversions. I'm not sure if that's something that you within the industry find offensive. That the people are trying to. I mean, looking that as a non. Reconverting hotels to maybe multifamily that seems to be doing better. Jorge, you're reading my mind. We absolutely believe that if a gap capital solution is not possible, that uh, that there still are multiple opportunities to convert the hotel into either a mixed-use development where hotel revenues become where you, you must rely on hotel revenues far less and or eliminate the hotel revenue from the building entirely, exit the hotel space and go to multifamily of one shape or size or another. There is a lot of interest in this. And right now, full service hotels that are being marketed are being marketed towards both hotel buyers and multifamily buyers. And we're seeing this through all of the major brokerage uh, groups across the country. I think they're all trying to figure out how to best position these properties and what the multifamily market thinks of these hotels, I think there are going to be some projects that make sense. But because most hotels, room formats are not the ideal apartment format, you might end up with greater cost than it really makes sense to convert some of these older hotels that are already hurting in the hotel space, pivoting them into multifamily might cost too much to make it worth it. It'll probably have to do with some assets will make more sense than others if it's a hotel and a great location. I mean, you've seen a lot of the new multifamily developments come with what they call micro units, which are tiny units that almost look like hotel rooms. So if it's sort of an urban location, it may make more sense. But if it's a hotel, it's in, in the suburbs, people are not going to want to live in a micro unit in the suburbs when they can find a much larger place. That's right. And if they are okay with the micro unit, or less square footage, then it's very likely they can afford to live at Maine and Maine and in a highly urban center, and they give up some of that square footage for location. So I think that's what some of the hotels have to offer. I think the hotel has to offer its location, and some of these better locations will then benefit because as the room count may decrease, it will be that much quicker for the remaining hotels to recover. So there is quite an interesting opportunity. It might be very interesting for a large hotel owner or an owner that has a high concentration of hotel rooms in a given market. It might be very advantageous for them to try to affect a somewhat sea change of a market. Now, flooding multifamily segments with new inventory can be dangerous, but if multifamily is financeable with cost-efficient money, and there are, and you're doing this in cities 
and counties that are experiencing population and GDP growth. You know, I, I think the multifamily industry knows how to evaluate itself well. They're some of the best in real estate at making good bets. You don't see a lot of failure in that space. And so I think there is a good opportunity. I think what the hotel owners are going to have, the biggest challenge is going to be trying to determine whether or not we want to try to own some of these revenues or if we want to just, you know, sell and give up the assets to the multifamily guys and gals out there. Because you you don't necessarily want to sell now because of the Mm -hmm. low value proposition that everybody's going to have to deal with. You know, that's what makes it worth it to the multifamily group or the the concept. It's it's the basis. Otherwise, why wouldn't I just go build new? What makes it, um, I think, difficult is that that hotel seller knows that the person is going on to profit from their loss. So I think a lot of hotel owners are very savvy business people. They've pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Owning hotels is difficult and they've been able to do it. And it's only a pandemic that's forced their hand so this is these are conditions for a seller to maybe not close on a deal because they feel like, well, maybe I can execute on that. So I think there's some interesting possibilities. Maybe the hotel industry can absorb some of this residential revenue, can, can steal market share. Maybe, maybe we replace some of our lost hotel revenues with residential revenues. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of room to be creative. And I mean, there are many structures in which you don't necessarily sell and still participate in the project in the in the development or in the reconversion so that yeah, there's certainly opportunity there. and i would think that it's something that municipalities would see favorably because i mean they would be able to see that if an asset is struggling they don't being able to reconvert it to a more newer more attractive mm-hmm. you know use it would be more full of life they typically would see that as a positive. So that yes, they, that they would. Helps. But what may be more attractive to them in the short term is actually increased tax revenues, because if the city is, if that submarket is experiencing a decreased supply in hotel rooms, that can translate. Should if you are managing the inventory well, it should translate into a rate increase in the market with greater compression, and that's the. Theory. I know that in the weeds, it sometimes doesn't quite translate that way, but that's found money for the tax collector and the city and state and county of every city and state and county in the, in the country collects hotel occupancy tax. And it's a big part of their revenue. And they're down the same amount pound for pound we are year over year. So the city of Houston, as an example, I think in 2019, collected somewhere to the tune of $86 million in hot tax. This year, let's say they collect $40 million. That's a lot of mouths that aren't getting fed. The faster that we can recover that rev par, the faster the city recovers that hot tax. They don't care where the rev par comes from. And if we've got the ability to shed some older inventory and therefore bring in the same number of room nights, right? We're not growing the room night count in any of these submarkets, but because we can get more revenue out of these room nights, then the city makes a little more. And so there is yeah. some incentive, I think, to all of us to try to not not recreate, not you know, significantly revise our industry, but to you know, look at this and make sure we understand what you know, some of these markets are, are really going to realistically recover to. And I think this is primarily, I think this is really, you know, major convention markets. This is larger cities. This is larger 
destinations that that have frankly the the largest numbers of inventory. I think in some of the tertiary markets you may actually end up needing more rooms because maybe they don't have they never had the the overbuilding, they never had the large group events and so their revenues just naturally haven't fallen as much. They didn't have as much to fall. And in those markets I think new construction is going to be perhaps available sooner. But I think in these more established markets we may have a lot of opportunity to tweak and benefit a lot of things. So going back to the, the gap capital scenario that a lot of these hotels are in would benefit from, the biggest hurdle that I would see a, an investor having coming in is what if the pandemic lasts three more years? Mm. And I, I mean, I know that's an unlikely scenario. And that would be a terrible situation for all of us. But in a worst case scenario kind of situation, what would happen to an investor in, in these hotels? That's a great question. I think that in a worst case scenario, I mean, obviously, worst case scenario is that the investor loses their investment because the, the loan that's in place, um, you know, is, is foreclosed upon and, and, you know, the assets foreclosed upon. The, the, that's worst case. The asset is foreclosed upon. If somebody provided a like a preferred equity, is there still a chance that they don't lose their money, even if it's even if the asset is foreclosed on? It's possible, but because the lender, if the lender is foreclosing on it, it's likely that you know payments are, are not current. So let's take a live example or, or a, a mock example. Let's say you have a 150 room hotel, or to make the math even easier. Let's say it's a 200 room hotel. Prior to COVID, it was worth. 200,000 a key. So you have a $40 million asset. Now, post-COVID, nobody thinks it's worth more than 70% of that. So take 30% off, 12 million bucks. Now you got a $28 million hotel. But on your $40 million hotel, pre-COVID, you had an appropriate, say, $25 million loan. Well, now you have a $28 million asset with a $25 million loan. So the loan to total value ratio is way too high. And so the lender is looking at that and the investor is looking at that and thinking, okay, well, there's, there's very little equity here. And so to the, lenders, the lender is going to be concerned that if the business has to be closed, if they have to take it back and sell it at a wholesale value, that maybe they don't even get the debt. So the PREF equity loan or, or whatever gap capital structure is taken that capital is probably exposed because there may not be enough to pay off the lender because you might fall enough below that loan range. And most hotels are financed somewhere between 55 and say 70% leverage. If the value of the asset, if your revenues have fallen 50% or more, well, certainly the value of the asset has fallen that much, right? Well, if you only had 40% equity and you have a 50% value drop, well, you have no value there. You might find that if things improve some, you have a $35 million asset and you can get a $26 million loan, which pays off the old loan and gives you a little working capital. That's, so that's what we're trying to feel for right now. Everyone's sort of blindly reaching out in front of them and trying to understand what makes sense to grab a hold of. Because once you grab a hold of it, if you let go, you may not find something else to stabilize you. You know, we each need to be very intentional with the money that we go out and apply as a solution because we might end up with a structure that looks good today, but we 
but after a different timeline or a different inventory changes in the market, you know, it's just just something slightly changes in, in the recovery and we, you know, the plan doesn't work or the money didn't last long enough. You know, if you've got a $40 million asset, you know, 200 room hotel, you have quite a lot of operating expenses every month. Aside from your debt service, you've still got to keep people in the building. You've got to keep the utilities paid. And so the lender over time is a concern. But, you know, if the building is not maintained, that's a potentially a much bigger concern because a building that sits vacant without use, even if you've got a nominal amount of team members there maintaining the building can still end up having a lot of capital expense when you turn everything back on and, and ramp everything back up. So there's a lot of things here that we have to consider in making sure that we understand what the value of these assets is going to be down the road. And right now, again, because there's not enough clarity, no one's willing to pull the trigger and make a... There aren't enough triggers being pulled to really show us all what the market really is and what is the real opinion of value. And we all know also that the deals that are happening now, nobody's going to know whether or not they're good deals for six to 12 months. So this is not a situation where we've got a new star report that comes out next month and it's going to tell us something. The star report next month is going to be as worthless as the star report this month. The data there is just not effective yet. We need to see more reopening. We need to see more travel. We need to hear from more CEOs about when they plan to open. And you know, when they let their people back in their offices may begin giving us an impression of when they'll let them go to other offices, right? So there's, there's still so much more to, to be seen that it's difficult to assign a value that you can defend to your boss when they say, well, why didn't you pay less or why didn't you get more? And nobody wants to make any big major boo-boos, especially when there's probably only a handful of county judges in this whole country that will let you lose a hotel at this point. I think if an owner was really threatened, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy fight will probably end up benefiting the owner. So there's yet to be, to me, any sign that says we must eject. I think we can be patient. We can continue to look for good opportunities. And we need to be ready to pound those good opportunities because they are there. There are going to be good opportunities to take a, a hotel and keep it a great hotel or make it a great hotel again. There's going to be opportunities to convert hotels out. And there still will be opportunities, although this is the fewest number of investments that will happen over the next couple of years, but there will be opportunities to build new hotels. Some of the silver lining of this event are showing us the markets and the types of demand that don't turn off, even in a pandemic. So those opportunities, I think, are going to be, actually, those excite me the most, partly because I like building things. I do like the construction side of the business, but also because that's where you can still make money in a hotel. Right. With, with the existing hotels, it's like we're trying to do organ transplants to save lives with these you know, leisure markets. It's like we're getting to have babies. I mean, who doesn't like making babies? You know, I mean, this is like this is where we really have some brighter opportunities. But right now we're still in the operating room and we're trying to get out of the operating room so that we can get on to better things. So that's the first step, getting out of the operating room before we can think about everything else. But I certainly do see the opportunity. I mean, even investing in, in those assets. And I think the key there is um, getting comfortable with a 
with a worst case scenario, like with a with a plan, having a plan B, plan C, plan D, like just knowing that there are certain opportunities that with that an investment that even that I mean, even with a the, the pandemic, if things don't come back to normal in six months, that there are alternatives like reconversion or those kinds of things that will make sure that the asset is making money a year or two years from now. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's what I mean, we're all looking for. I mean, we're all looking for everything, right? I think there's there's a lot of great opportunity for us. You know, one thing we really haven't touched on that came first in all of this is the reaction to the operation that was in part a human resources effort to resize our teams temporarily and then evaluate what we think may be permanent changes, but also to reevaluate the services and what we're executing. And so that's a big cost exercise that is something that is going to help drive value. But, you know, we, we can't cut our way back to 2019 levels. There's no amount of expenses we can remove from the P&L that gets us back to a 2019 EBITDA. It, it just doesn't, it won't happen that way. We have to get innovative. We have to get creative. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of everything to get back to where the industry was. And in that, in all of those little changes, opportunities, there's going to be, you know, opportunity to grow your investments. So we really like the, you know, the fact that we're, we're being given some opportunity to squeeze some lemons and make lemonade. Uh, that's what we have to do. And we're just, we're just trying to make the best of it and find the best opportunities to do it. We think we'll be like everyone. Um, American Liberty will probably have to get very creative for some of our assets, but the majority of them, I think, are going to end up following a pretty normal course. Okay. So what's next for American Liberty Hospitality? I mean, once you are able to work through this and hopefully we all move past this soon enough, but I know that towards the last few years, you were growing quite a bit. You were working, I mean, on the, you mentioned the hotel and the Galleria area. That's a, a very nice project to dual branded hotel there. And I get the feeling that you wanted to do more of that ground up development. So how do you see American Liberty Hospitality beyond this current situation that we're going through? Well, I definitely see us focusing on growth. We love this business. We love managing hotels. We love being a part of the community through our people and taking care of guests. It's how we all grew up in the business. And we really like the idea of building good product that can be a category killer and really leverage our service experience and our our construction experience and deliver projects at very, very low cost for what we're producing that can be uh, market share leaders and uh, therefore be of highest investment grade, both to equity and debt owners. And so our downtown Houston experience over the last decade or so has most recently been the development and opening of a Hampton and Homewood Suites dual brand hotel. And that was opened in 2016, and it's performed quite well despite opening at the beginning of an oil recession in 2016. It quickly jumped out and became its comp set leader, being bested only by Landry's Incorporated, uh, Tillman Fertitta's Weston Hotel, which sits right next door to us. I don't mind mentioning being in their comp set and them having a better rev par than our Hampton Inn and Homewood Suites. But you know, having Tillman be ahead of you with a Hampton Inn and a Homewood Suites, and he's got a Weston, I feel pretty good about that. And so what we were able to do there is deliver a full service-like building 
with two limited service brands uh, or a limited service and an extended stay brand. Uh, two brands that would traditionally be built in a you know three or four story stick format or on a 14 story cast in place concrete, high speed elevator, you know, central HVAC, rooftop pool, integrated garage with valet parking type of experience at a rate that is very respectable for again, two brands that, you know, traditionally would have, you know, a tough time competing with, you know, full service hotels, we have a great time competing with them. And so we we really fell in love with this concept, bring together two streams of revenues that can help pay for a larger building on a higher value site and get access to higher value demand. So we, we replicated that with two IHG brands, Holiday Inn Express and Staybridge Suites in the Galleria. And we're really excited to get this 319 room hotel open in the first quarter of 2021 and be a you know a great alternative to the the select serve and you know mid-priced inventory that's currently in the Galleria. We really like the Galleria market. We currently manage uh, Hilton Garden Inn in that market that outperforms its comp set. We developed that hotel and sold it to a REIT a few years ago and uh, maintained management and have um, really enjoyed understanding that market, knowing that market. And that's why we, we took the step to, uh, you know, to add these rooms because it's a solid market and we feel like these brands um, meet the needs of most consumers. And we now think that post-COVID, it may be even more appropriate to choose a little uh, more budget conscious brand because there may be... Um, uh, you know, other constraints that the, the traveler has to deal with. And so we think there's some good opportunity there to be a value offering. Also, you know, it's brand new. So it's the cleanest hotel in the market. We're going to employ uh, some of the best technology for, you know, making people feel comfortable and safe about traveling. And we want to do more of that. We think that there's more dual brand hotels that could be opened. We think that that's a great way to get access to high obstacle submarkets around the country. And we also think that the dual branding concept could be more than just two hotel brands that are complementary. We think that a hotel brand could complement residential quite nicely in a lot of formats. And we're seeing this around the country now in a lot of different ways. That's nothing new necessarily, but some of the ideas currently in the space are new and different. And so I think we, we should expect to see hotels plus multifamily hotels, plus perhaps office hotels, plus you know these other things where you might see the hotel square footage shrinking down to as little as maybe 25% of the asset, where the majority is really a different type of asset. Maybe you're financing a multifamily operation that happens to have some hotel rooms. Yeah, well, Nick, I'm, I'm glad to touch on what you're working on beyond the pandemic because it's certainly very interesting. Hopefully, you'll be able to get back to making that your focus of American Liberty Hospitality on kicking off these these new hotels because there's certainly a lot of, I mean, I can see a lot of potential in that thesis. I remember being at a hotel conference in Las Vegas a few years ago. One of the speakers there talked a lot about combining uses and how there can be a lot of potential in, in combining uses. People, as you said, like different stuff. And right now, users are looking for different they want. And when you give them a blend of things, or in this case, of dually branded hotels or 
different kinds of services in one, you bundle it together, people people like that. So I can see a lot of potential for, for your thesis. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, it's um, like I say, there's some good examples out there of I don't want to say haphazard. I don't want to say accidental, but not really fully integrated operations. You know, we we think that the maximum investment return will be when you have the the maximum amount of integration between the two operations. So that's what we think is uh, definitely going to be one of the things we focus on a lot over the coming uh, months and years. I wanted to ask also, the last episode that we had here on the podcast, we had someone that is bringing in a service kind of hospitality concept into multifamily projects. And he referred to that trend as the hotelification of multifamily and of office because people are, I mean, we value a lot the the serve the being serviced right and and that's something that the hospitality industry has always done very well do you see opportunity there in that sense or is that something that you haven't thought about venturing into no i definitely see opportunity there but i think that like a lot of things you get experience in something you learn maybe enough to get in trouble is that the phrase you know you become dangerous and you endanger yourself, maybe. I see a lot of office buildings that have these beautiful entire floors sometimes devoted to food and beverage spaces, meeting rooms, conference facilities, kitchens, state-of-the-art things that even restaurateurs and hoteliers dream about having in their buildings. And these are office managers that get these facilities. It's a bit of a, of a reach, I think, to expect all of them to be able to effectively use these tools. I think you you know we may see that just be a fad that they're trying to do too much. They're trying to be all things when it's just easier to walk down the street and go to the pros and go get it in a better you know packaging. Yes, certainly it, it might you might you know pay a little more in the moment, but in the long run, it's I think maybe better. So I think though that if you could integrate an entire hotel into an office building and that hotel service now becomes that food and beverage or catering solution to multiple office users in that complex, let's say. Now, that's a a situation that is a bit more tried and true. There's a a lot of examples of that around the country. And I think that could be seen more. I think we might see office owners tapping hotel developers to come in and take a long-term lease, a very, very long-term lease on a number of floors in a building as a way both to offset occupancy loss and add, you know, somewhat unique amenities that their users, you know, their new tenants or existing tenants may want. Uh, Maybe that helps them to reduce turnover. So I think there's definitely some very creative options, but I think hotel management is just so unique. It's not real estate. Office is real estate. Multifamily is somewhat real estate. It, It is management too, but hotel is a different level of management. And food and beverage, frankly, is the most complicated portion of it. Of a hotel PL, it's easy to work through rooms. Everybody likes rooms. Rooms revenue, rooms expense, rooms are great. Rooms make money. Food and beverage is a struggle. It's a painful struggle at most hotels, unnecessary evil at most hotels. And so, you know, on one hand, I think, like I say, I think it's a it's a bit of a risk for them. On the other hand, though, we've really enjoyed focused service hotels and uh, select service hotels. 
And so perhaps if the office space, you know, wants to take on more of those components, maybe that is just simply less profitable revenues that we don't have to deal with any longer. Maybe maybe that actually improves the value, lowers cap rates on hotels. Because if I am, you know, valuing a hotel, I'm actually applying a different cap rate. I, I believe you should apply a different cap rate to the room's revenues as you do to the other revenues. The room's revenues should carry a much lower cap rate than the food and beverage revenues that are much harder to replicate year over year. I mean, don't even get into spa revenues or any of these other fantasy land things that, that people think make money. Those things don't make money. Rate makes money. Occupancy costs money. So if we want to return value to our industry, the main thing that we can do is focus on rate. That's the primary thing that we can do. We know that there's going to be cost innovations, but we've let a lot of that blood and we're going to build back from the ground up. What we can control now is pricing. That's what we can control. And so the quickest way to value is, you know, or value recreation is going to be, you know, aggressive focus on reopening the economies, getting travel going again. We need every kind of, you know, travel program that we can think of to get Americans traveling again. And we need, I think we need to really bolster the hotel, restaurant, cruise, airline industries with uh, support to help them to get that done. Because right now, you know, we, we risk losing a lot of very valuable infrastructure in that, you know, in that very important travel and tourism industry. And uh, we don't want to lose that. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't backtrack on this. We can figure out a way to tighten our belts. We won't make a lot of money over the next couple of years, but we don't have to lose a lot of ground. Because pre-COVID, it wasn't oversupplied, right? So, That's right. so yeah, we want to uh, go back there. Nick, are you ready for our fire round? Let's do it. What's the book that has had the most profound impact on your life? One Minute Manager. One Minute Manager. I don't really follow the, the tenets, but I like it. <laughs> What's the single most important skill to have as a, in your case, as a successful hotel operator? On a fire round, go back. I'm going to say Be My Guest by Conrad Hilton. Actually, it's probably had a bigger impact on me. Uh, but both of those, neck and neck. Be My Guest. There's a book from Disney called Be My Guest, isn't there? Well, I think it's the same. Uh, I think it's the same book. Oh, maybe. Okay. Be My Guest by Conrad Hilton. So going back to the next question, what's the single most important skill to have as a hotel operator and developer? I think it's uh, hotel experience. I think you have to know the industry in order to be successful in the real estate. You have to know the, the business side of it to be most successful on the real estate side of it. What's a real estate trend that you're paying attention to? The merger of hotel and residential. I believe that there will be a shift of residential revenues into the hotel industry space. And that's a, it's a long-term trend, but I think that's a major trend. We, we've seen that also a lot in the second home market. It's a market that traditionally hasn't, there hasn't been a lot of product for that, but we think that for somebody in the table to deliver a good product for second homes that's serviced like a hotel, it'd be a, a phenomenal product. But yeah, I like that answer. What's a parting piece of advice that you have for our audience? Take risks. Say the quiet part out loud. Be honest. Don't be afraid of offending people. Start early. Stay late. It takes hard work. Nothing good 
ever comes without sacrifice, without pain, you know, back to childbirth. It's the most beautiful thing we have on earth. And it's maybe one of the most painful. I thank God. I don't know, but you know, uh, you know, anything good typically comes with a lot of sacrifice. And I think that what our country has been best at, at times is making tough sacrifices. And I think that's what we have to do right now. Clearly, we all have to make a sacrifice in, in order to get through this. All of us, everybody, you know, is making business sacrifices, personal sacrifices. We all have to get through this together, but we can, we can. Thank you for that answer. How can people reach you? How can people know more about American Liberty Hospitality? If they want to know more about you, get to know you, invest with you, what's the best way to do so? Well, the best way is, you know, to reach out to us here at American Liberty in Houston, Texas. We're at 2901 Wilcrest Drive in Houston, and uh, we're, we're in the office. So we are working full time. There's some of us rotating in and out, but we're here and we are excited to talk to anybody about investment opportunities about investments they're considering. We don't, we're not real stingy with advice and with ideas. And so uh, we welcome anybody reaching out to me or my father, my sister, Taylor Tritt, or my sister, Margot Kaplan, uh, you know, for your next hospitality uh, solution, because we are here to manage more hotels, develop more hotels and help hotel investors make an ROI, you know, have fun doing it too. And so I'm sure, uh, You can share my contact information uh, with anybody that reaches out to you, Jorge, and certainly really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to give you some of our perspective from Houston. And come to Houston. We're open for business. We're here. Come on down. <laughs> We'd love to see you. Yeah, we, we definitely should. And, and to that point, Houston, I think, is an underrated city. And I've said this many times before here on the show, but I think Houston is a city that doesn't get as, enough credit as it should. It's a city that really more people should visit, I think. I think you're right. I think we, uh, um, I like to say the biggest small town in the country. It's a very down to earth place. Anybody is welcome in Houston. Anybody can make it in Houston. Our mayor is a great guy, born and raised here in town, a great success story in, in and of himself, on down the line. You know, the, the latest immigrant that chose Houston as their home. This is a, a place where anybody can make it. We love being here. But, you know, there's a lot of Houstons in this country. There really are. And we, um, uh, you know, we're not doing anything that a lot of other people aren't doing. We just do it with a little bit more rain, I think, than anybody else. So we're really excited to be here. And, and again, uh, we look forward to the next big thing. Well, Nick, thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. I think time certainly flew by during our call, but I really enjoyed it. Not only was it very enlightening and enriching, but also very entertaining. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Yeah. Look forward to doing it again sometime.